We are going to pick up this morning um, talking through our series, Back to Basics, and um, I am going to be leading you through several scriptures this morning, so that's why I've gone back to a PowerPoint. I haven't done a PowerPoint in a couple of months, probably, I think, but uh, there's going to be a lot of scriptures, several points. Uh, this might sound a little bit more this morning like a, like a teaching style, as opposed to maybe some kind of a preaching style. So uh, just so you guys, if, if anybody cares to know the difference... Uh, we can talk about it later. But the bottom line is, we got some aids to help you if you want to take some notes today. I don't know about you, but um, it's kind of hard these days to trust in powerful people. Um, it's kind of difficult to look at our world, our society, um, our leaders, and put our trust in leaders. I was reading the headlines this week, and just this week, if you were to look at the news headlines... Uh, you would see several, a couple of former state senators heading to prison on corruption charges. Both parties have been affected by this, by the way, so just, you know, in case anybody's curious. Um, you could read uh, about the Rochester Housing Authority chairman being hauled off by the FBI for insider trading with Rochester City Council members. Uh, you could hear about uh, national, federal scale, you could hear about Vladimir Putin, who's going to be uh, taking and targeting countries that are hosting missiles for the United States of America. You could go on and on and on. There's the issue of the pipe bombs that were sent around to various political leaders this week. I mean, all of this stuff, you don't have to go far to find stories that cause us to question power. Who's in power? Who can we trust in power? How does power get applied in our country? When we talk, when we talk about the power of God, the question that kind of kept coming to my mind is, what does it really mean to be powerful? The word power kind of has a blended connotation. It's really an English construct, but it talks about the idea of authority on the one hand and sort of a, a strength or an ability on the other hand. It's this idea of influence. You could think of, like we've mentioned, political figures. You could think of law enforcement or judges and, and you think of them in the context of power. Or I could think of going to high school and remembering uh, teachers who are sitting underneath school boards. They have some power. If I was a student teacher underneath another teacher, that power came from that teacher, or um, think about students themselves. How many young people do you know, like you have some friends that have some power over their classmates, invite you to a party or whatever it is, and uh, they have some power to get you to do some things maybe that you wouldn't otherwise do because they exert some influence over you. Some power is innate, kind of comes from within some power is derived, or it's delegated, we might call that. When I studied motivation theory many, many years ago, I found that there are three types, primary types of motivation for individuals. There's the affiliated folks. They are motivated by just being with people. Uh, and then there's the achievement-motivated folks, and they're motivated by learning and kind of achieving, and they set goals, and that's how they strive and, and thrive in the world. And there's a third kind of individual who's motivated by power. Power-motivated folks 
thrive on being in power, in charge, uh, kind of rising up and exerting their influence and, and, and power over other people. But sometimes those power-motivated people mix up the idea of influence and power and they mix it up with the idea of having force. And we used to talk about this with young people. And I would work with young people. And we would talk about, like, who has power when you're out on the street. And, and you're walking up and down. And there's gangs and other people. And they're, they're kind of like controlling a neighborhood. What does it mean to really have power in that neighborhood? Well, a lot of gang members, they will walk around. And, and they kind of exert their influence with a gun. Or they exert their influence with manipulation and extortion and other kinds. Is that real power? Because when you have to use force to control something, you have a certain kind of power, but that power is not necessarily innate to who you are. You may not be the most powerful person, but yes, you can exert some force. The reality is is that power looks very different Depending on the situation, you see pictures here of Rosa Parks. She's one of the, a very influential and powerful person in the 20th century, and certainly Martin Luther King Jr., a very powerful person. Neither of them, to my knowledge, ever used a gun. Neither of them, to my knowledge, any, exerted any undue influence. And yet they became leaders of powerful, powerful movements. Power looks different depending on the situation that you find yourselves in. In ancient Greek understanding, if we were to go back and look at some of the language, power was something known as a cosmic principle. It was something that kind of existed outside of the world. It was just something that was there. And interestingly enough, in the ancient Greek, this idea of power sort of transcended humans. So in other words, in ancient Greek culture, we wouldn't hear a phrase like the power of God because they equated God with power. God was just power. Now, over time and to try and describe that God was human, we, we attached this kind of phrase because he's a person so that God has power, yes. But in the ancient Greek tradition, He was power. And so we have to kind of read Scripture through this lens of understanding that there was this intrinsic authoritative power that flowed from God. That's how they would understand and work within their writing. There's two different, well, there's several different words that describe power in the New Testament. I'm going to focus on primarily two today because they are the predominant two if you were to look through and understand the language. Alright, so let me focus on the first one, and this first one is called exousia. And it's most often translated in the New Testament as the word authority. Occasionally it is translated as the word power, and sometimes it's translated in a few other words that mean the same thing. But if you were to read it in its context, like say in Matthew 28.18, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Of course, that's Jesus talking. Exousia has this idea of authority. It is my power, authority over you that is determining these types of things. John 10:18, Jesus would say it this way, no one takes from me, takes it from me, 
but I lay it down, talking about my life. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the idea of exousia, of authority, and it's wrapped up in this idea of power. The idea is I'm in charge. I'm in authority over you. Now we know that as we study this, authority can be either intrinsic, innate, kind of something that is inside of us, or it can be delegated to us. We can derive our authority from something. If you think of the derived authority here, the Bible makes clear that um, derived authority is wrapped up in who Jesus is, but Jesus also had an intrinsic authority associated with him. John 5.27, Jesus was saying, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. This is the idea that God had given Jesus a certain amount of authority. But at the same time, Jesus also had an intrinsic authority associated with him. In Luke 5.24, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus represented somebody who had both a derived authority and an intrinsic authority because he was part of the Godhead. Humans, we, only operate with derived power. And as we think about the power of God this morning, I want us to really focus on the idea that we are only operating within the context of derived power. If it helps you to understand sort of intrinsic authority, think of uh, Prince William and think of Prince Harry and Duchess Kate and and uh, Duchess Meghan, and the kids that they had, their kids are being born into royalty. There is an intrinsic authority that comes with being born into the royal family in England. That is the idea of intrinsic authority. Think of Jesus being born. Yes, he was born into an earthly family, but he was born of God. His lineage is of God. There is intrinsic authority because of who Jesus is. Humans only operate within the power that is given to them. As we think about this idea of God having intrinsic authority, we do want to highlight in Scripture where this idea comes from. We could go all the way back to Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, who would say this in chapter 27, verse 5, With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I gave it to anyone I please. God existed before all of this. God existed outside of time. And biblical writers and those who believed in God and ultimately in Jesus ascribed the authoritative and powerful nature of Him to creation. Ascribed creation to Him. Paul would say it this way in Romans 1 uh, and verse 20. He has said, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul was declaring there is an intrinsic, authoritative, powerful nature of God that exists outside of all of us, outside of our humanity. 
The second word we look at when we look at the words in the New Testament is called dunamis. And this, this type of power is more than just authority, but it's also this idea of strength or ability or the ability to accomplish something. And Jesus would talk about it in many different contexts. We read about it through the miracles that were performed. We read about it all throughout the New Testament. But I think this verse in 1 Corinthians 4.20 that Paul writes kind of sums this idea of the word power up, this dunamis. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And the reality is, is that I got tripped up on that this week. Already I'm seeing some of your eyes glaze over, because, you know, this is a little bit more teaching, right? And so we're learning Greek and all that, like, yeah, which okay, move on, like, how does this apply to me? We're going to get there, so hang with me for just a couple of minutes. Hang with me. But the reality is that this verse ought to make us all stop and wonder, what's going on in our churches? What's going on in our lives? What's going on in the world around us? That somehow or another, I even question God's power. Is God powerful? Because I could read it in Scripture, and intellectually I can think it, But does it change the way I live? Do I give more weight to His commandments? Do I give more weight to living like He's asked me to live? Because I believe that He is powerful. Does it change anything? Because His kingdom, the kingdom that we are a part of now, the kingdom that came was ushered in by His life and ultimate death and then resurrection, that kingdom is not a matter of talk. It's not just standing here and talking about it and trying to convince you of it. Which is, again, kind of where I got a little tripped up. Like, what do we say about God's power that actually doesn't become just an intellectual exercise? I was at a meeting a couple, like last week, uh, and our superintendent shared this fantastic little story. She said that her, uh, her husband, they had visited a church, and her husband had observed this young woman who was outside in the parking lot. And this young woman was sobbing. She was crying, crying, crying. So uh, the superintendent's husband walked over to her and... Um, Asked her, you know, what was going on, if he could help her in any way or whatever. And she looked at him and, and she was like, look, holding, she held out the key to her car. She said, I'm locked out of my car. And, and, and she was sobbing and she says, the, the battery in my car key is dead and I can't unlock the car door. So Marshall took the, the key from her and put it in the car door and unlocked the car door and opened the door and said, there you go. And. She was completely powerless, not realizing that it didn't take the battery to unlock the car. You could actually use a key. She had never known how to unlock a car with a key before. She only ever had the key fob. And the superintendent would go on to say, how many of us are holding that kind of power in our hands? But we have no clue because we've never applied it. We've never 
lived it out. We've never seen it in action so that I'm standing there wondering, how's this work? And God is saying, by my Spirit, by my Spirit, let's get out there and engage this world. You could read about that in the prophet Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. There's a couple of other verses that talk about this, that bring these two words together, exousia and dunamis. And they are from Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. They read this, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own exousia, by His own authority. But you will receive power, that is, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is our legacy. That is what God has given to each of us. God, in His innateness, His character, His nature, is powerful. And He has now given to us, through the gift of His Holy Spirit, the ability to act on His behalf with that power. It is a delegated power. God is the ultimate authority, but He has delegated that power to us. And the question becomes, why? Why is God delegating that power to us? Why doesn't He just do it all Himself. Some of us stand back and we pray and we ask God to fix this or that situation. We ask God to fix our family members. And I've been going through that even personally in my own extended family. And one, what's my role? How do I engage? Because I haven't been so engaged in this person's life. And what is my role? And could I, I should just pray, right? I should pray for God to do something. And then there's that wonderful song that's out there right now. It's like, yeah, I'm sending you, Right? I'm praying for this or that situation, but I'm sending you, God says. Why? Because He created us to be in partnership with Him. He created us to be a part of the world that He ultimately created, but we are made in His image. We are the stewards of this creation. We are partners. We are not just coming to church to say some words to get our ticket to heaven and then to go out and live our lives that is separate from impacting the world around it. That's not who God's called us to be. God has called us to be engaged. Because He is powerful, we share in that power. It is derived, delegated to us through the power of His Holy Spirit. To do what? As Acts would say right there, to be His witnesses. The purpose One of them is to bear witness. To tell the world about Him. I want you to understand that this bearing witness is the essence of evangelism. Some of us get tripped up on the word evangelism. We don't like going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because somehow it feels like we're infringing on people. It somehow feels like we're imposing our will. Like, why would I want to tell the world about Jesus? Like, aren't they going to feel uncomfortable? And and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. The essence of evangelism is not trying to convert people. Hear me. The essence of evangelism is just simply telling what God has done for you. 
Tell the world about what God has done for you. Tell the world about what God has already done, whether it's for you or not. Share the good news of Jesus Christ in terms of what He has done. It's right here. It's in the Bible. We are to be His witnesses. That is the essence of evangelism. And if you are afraid to do that, ask yourself, why? Why am I afraid to share what God has done for me? Because somebody out there would love for God to do the same thing for them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the change that happened inside of you is something that somebody else also wants to have happen to them? It's true. It's not just for us. God changes our hearts from the inside out and we are to bear witness. The second thing is so that we can know His deep love for us. We read of this in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high is the deep love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He grants us power through the gift of His Holy Spirit to know His deep love. He loves you. He loves you. That's why we are to bear witness. Because He loves us. It makes an impact in our lives and we share that with the rest of the world. It's a delegated power for His glory that we might understand and truly embrace His love for us. He also gives us power to wage war in the spiritual realm. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, the word power is different. It's a different word, kratos. It, it means something along the lines of uh, dominion or prevailing power. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He gives us power to engage the spiritual realm. Folks, that's where our battle is. We're looking at the world around us and we're debating Democrats and Republicans and a vote's coming up and all this stuff. And we're, we're looking. We want to cast blame and we want to look at the shooters and figure, why'd you do this and all that kind of stuff. The reality is right there, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is rooted in the spiritual realm. We struggle in this world, in this society, with sin. That is the essence of what our battle is all about. And we have power from on high to engage that, the principalities and the powers of darkness. He also gives us power through His Holy Spirit to live godly lives. You could read about this in First Peter, chapter, Second Peter chapter. 1 verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and goodness. A song might be coming to your head right now. His divine power has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness through our Knowledge of Him who called us. And we could go on and on and on. It's an old song. I love that song. He gives us the power to live godly lives. And the last one on here, there's many, many more. He gives us the power to trust Him with the outcomes. And for this, I was thinking of a lot of Old Testament stories. I went back to Daniel chapter 3. It could have gone to Ezekiel where the children are this morning. It could have gone all over the place. But think in Daniel chapter 3. 
There's three guys. They're known to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were asked to bow down to this great statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected and forced the people to say, you know, we want you, you have to bow down. And if you don't and declare the praises of this statue, you will be thrown into a fiery furnace. And these three men said, no, we will not. And Nebuchadnezzar was so mad. He said, if you don't, I'm going to throw you right into the fire. And he was so mad. He said, heat that furnace up to seven times hotter than anything. In fact, the furnace was so hot when the people, when the, the guards led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they were killed because of the intense heat. But it wasn't very long before those three men were standing in that furnace and Nebuchadnezzar and a few other of his officials looked in there and they said, I thought we only threw three in there. Why are there four? Who's that fourth one? And they couldn't figure it out. But he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back out. And he said, come on back out here. Apparently it's not working. And he's like, what's going on? And not a hair had been singed, not a piece of their clothing. It says they didn't even smell like smoke. They weren't even harmed in any way, shape, or form. And that turned King Nebuchadnezzar. He said, that, that's a God I can get behind. That's a God that I can serve. That's a, everybody now serves their God. That's the guy right there. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the kind of power we want to live with? The power to trust Him with the outcome? You know what they said before they went in? Some of you know the story. They said, you know what? My God has, our God has the power to save, to deliver us from this. But you know what? Even if He doesn't, we will never bow down to another. Even if he doesn't. Because we know in this life there are lots of stories where God didn't deliver, didn't answer a prayer that we were praying for, didn't do something for one of our relatives or our friends, didn't do something for one of the things we've been praying for nationally, internationally, whatever it is. Lots of people struggle. There have been martyrs that have been put to death over the years. You know countless people prayed for them and God didn't. Deliver them. But it's that word. We know He can, but even if He doesn't, He is still God. And I still worship Him. The purpose of our delegated power is to bring glory and honor and praise to Him. All power is only available to us because God allows it and God gives it to us. He created us. He sits on His throne. There is no power that compares to His all-surpassing greatness. His all-surpassing power. And so again, I come back and say, that should make us wonder what's going on in our lives, in our world. What are we waiting for? What are we afraid of? Shouldn't my life, shouldn't our church be more reflective of His power? What's holding me back? If we believe He is powerful, then shouldn't we be all the more willing to act on His commandments? To act in love. To reach out and share this good news. And again, this is the part that I've been struggling with all week to think about the power of God. 
Because I could, there, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about the power of God. We could study the power of God till we're all falling asleep. Which some of you already are. It's okay. Like, we could study it till we're falling asleep. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what's going on? It's the question that I'm wrestling with and I'm asking you guys to wrestle with. Here's a couple of things that I want us to think about as we transition this morning and as you transition and and go home and do your various things. Here's some ways that I want to encourage us to think about power. It's just what I just said. Here's Here's what I'm talking about. To step toward God's power. Number one, we need to trust in our weaknesses. That is counterintuitive because so many of us fight our weaknesses. We try to overcome our weaknesses. We try to educate ourselves or we try to train ourselves. We exercise ourselves. We, we do all the things that we're supposed to do. The only thing we don't do is trust in our weaknesses. Because that's not what the world tells us. And yet, the Bible tells us that we can trust in our weaknesses. That's not to say that we shouldn't ever try to become a better person. I'm not saying that. But there are some things inside of us. Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace, well, Jesus was talking to Paul, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. That one's hard for me. And I'm sure it's hard for some of you. Because we don't like to admit weakness. We don't like to admit that there are just some things that we just might not be able to overcome. Because it's anti-American. Because it's anti-human nature, right? I mean, we we should be able to power up, power through, get through, overcome, whatever it is. But that's just about us. It ceases at that point to be about Christ. And it ceases to be about His Holy Spirit living in us. If we want to grow in the power of God, we need to trust in our weaknesses. Trust God in our weaknesses. The second one is, Declare the gospel simply. The gospel is quite simple. It's not easy to live out, but the gospel itself, to bear witness to it, is quite simple. Jesus did what he did, and we can tell other people about it. That's the gospel, right? Jesus is who he is, he did what he did, and we should be telling other people about it. It is not easy to live out, but it doesn't start there. Paul would say it this way in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Declare the gospel simply. You want to live in power, trust in God's weaknesses, declare His gospel. The third one is discover and use your spiritual gifts. Again, Paul writing, but from to the Ephesians this time, I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of His power. 
God empowered you with gifts and talents to go out and be used by Him. Not by you. By Him. If somehow you think you're in God's army and you're going to go out there and march and do your thing, it's not about you in that sense. Yes, God makes it about you by giving you the gift, but it's ultimately for His glory in partnership with Him. So discover, and if you struggle with, what is my spiritual gift? Come talk to me. Come talk to We'll give you a spiritual gifts assessment. You can at least start there. And then pray and ask God to reveal, how am I supposed to use this gift? We can help you figure out what your spiritual gifts are, but you've got to tap into those to understand how the Spirit can be using you in a more powerful way. And then the last one I wrote down, there are certainly many others if you want to keep studying this. Pray. Pray. If you struggle with prayer, if you struggle on a day-to-day basis because you wake up in the morning and your calendar is already clicking about the meeting that you have at 8 o'clock, or if you struggle at night to go to bed and without praying because your dog tired or you had to put the kids to bed and you forgot or whatever it is, we have to discipline ourselves to pray. We cannot expect God's power to grow within us without being in connection and in relationship to Him. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, it says this, O Lord God of our ancestors, You are the God who lives in heaven and rules over all the kingdoms of the nations. You possess strength and power. No one can stand against you. Back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Just linger on that. Far beyond all we ask or think. That's the God we serve. It's not just what I say. It's what he wants to do. And it will far exceed what you're thinking. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And let all the church say, Amen. Amen. That's the God that we serve. An all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God that has delegated that power to you and to me. God's character. His nature. Is power. Paul writing to his protege Timothy, the second letter, he writes this For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. Power, dunamis, the ability to do things, love and self discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, His prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. I could think of no better verse to end on this morning than that plea to you with me. Are we together seeking, working, trying to identify the ways that God wants to exert His influence, His authority over us, to demonstrate His power so that our knowledge of Him grows, so that our understanding of Him grows, 
so that his, his kingdom expands. Are you with me? I know you're thinking. Are you with me? I mean, yes, I can elicit any response I want from you right now. Almost. Within reason. Some of you are just tight-lipped, but that's okay. I'm not asking you to say something that you don't believe. I really want you to wrestle with this. What will make the difference? I'm going to invite the worship team. You can come up and we're going to take a few minutes to just think through. What is the Lord saying to me about my life? About my ability to trust in His power, His outcomes? My ability to to grow in the using of my spiritual... My trusting Him in my weakness. What does that really look like? The worship team is going to play just instrumentally for a few minutes and give you a chance to reflect. You might choose to just close your eyes and take it in. You might choose to write. You might choose to pray. Any number of responses are appropriate. The altar is available if anybody would feel like they want to come up and pray on their knees. Or you can do it right at your chair. So we're just going to take some time to respond. And then the worship team will lead us in a closing song. We may be prompted to give this morning. There are baskets up here on the altar and there will be baskets at the back with our ushers after the service if you're prompted to share your resources because you trust God with everything. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything that I have belongs to Him. So Lord, I'm going to trust You with my resources. It's a tithe or it's an offering this morning. You, you might be trusting Him with a secret. Something that's deep down buried. I need to let this go, God. I'm struggling. I'm fearful. I don't know what to do. And I don't know if you're going to work it out for me. You might need to just let that go this morning. I don't know what it is for you. But God does. And we're going to take some time to just listen to Him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We want to experience a kingdom of power. Lord, I don't want to just be a kingdom of talk that sounds good, it tickles our ears, and and we walk away unchanged, unmoved. So Lord, this morning I pray that Your Spirit would show us something different. Something different in our own hearts, our own lives, something different in our church, something that needs to change an ability to trust You more and more. To trust in who You are, not who I've made You out to be. You are a God who, by Your very nature, is powerful. Help us to really wrestle with what that looks like. Speak to us, Lord Jesus.